what we're going to do now is, if you stop and think about it, it's really kind of strange. Uh, we're going to read this ancient text, and we're going to sit here and listen to, or you're going to sit here and listen to me talk about it, uh, and we're going to walk out of here on this assumption that this ancient text actually has something to say to us living uh, in 2021 in Southern California. Uh, this is uh, absolutely fundamental to what we believe, that this ancient text is not a dead text. It's not, it's not the Odyssey. It's not, uh, it's not um, I don't know, the, the, uh, the Republic of Plato, right? Uh, this text actually has something that's life-giving for us. And not only is it a living text, but in a very real sense, it's a part of our story. So this is us hearing from our God talk about the story that we are all a part of. Uh, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, this story is the story of the birth of the church, and we're just one next continuation of the story of what God is doing. So join me now as we read from uh, the first chapter of Acts, starting at verse 1. Uh, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. Then they were, they were looking intently in the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Selet, and Judas the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with Jesus' brothers. In those days, Peter stood among the believers, a group numbering about 120 and said, and that will be where we're going to stop. Uh, Father, would you please, please join me as we pray. Father, uh, we need to hear from you now. We need to hear what you have to say to us uh, from this passage, this ancient text that is not dead but alive. Uh, and we believe, Lord, that you have something to say to us this morning. And so uh, would you speak to us? May my words be your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned to you the last time I was with you on a Sunday, that we're going to be going through the first few chapters of the book of Acts between now and Christmas time. 
Uh, and the reason that I want to do that is because I want, uh, my hope is to be able to share with you a little bit of my heart and kind of how I think about church, uh, and also to create context, whether it's through life groups or through conversations, for us to think about what, what are the implications of what God has given us in his word about the formation of the church. It's, it's very beginning, the framework, for the scaffolding that we use in order to be uh, the people of God. And so I'm hoping that through this, you'll get to hear a little bit of my heart, my passion, kind of my thought process about the church, and hopefully that it will inspire you in some way. Uh, now, the, the reality is that, um, you know, th there are different ways to think about the book of Acts. You know, probably a lot of you in your Bibles, the title of the book, it says the Acts of the Apostles. And that's certainly true, right? The, these are the stories of Peter and John and Paul being kind of the three James, being some of the principal actors, the principal uh, apostles at work in the story. Uh, others have suggested that a really great way to think about the book of Acts is that these are the acts of Holy Spirit. And that's true too, uh, that we're, we see, and I'll even mention it today a little bit later in the sermon, that there are these pitiful moments, these really important periods in the passage, of, uh, in, the, in the book of Acts where, where Holy Spirit shows up and does all these amazing things. And, and when that happens, you, you have to stop and pay attention because something is going on. Uh, what I want to suggest to us today, without diminishing those, the acts of the apostles, the acts of Holy Spirit, what I want to suggest to us today is that these are also the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, that Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead, who is in this passage, is going up to heaven in what we call the ascension, uh, that he's continuing to work through his people. And that in this particular passage, what I want us to do is I want us to see some of the things that he leaves behind uh, to give us hope for what the church can be. Now, I found six. I'm not, I, for, and for about half a day, I contemplated having my first sermon be a six-point sermon. And then my wife talked some sense into me, uh, and it's only three points, like a good Presbyterian. Uh, and like a good Presbyterian, I've alliterated them for you, all with the letter P. Uh, so what we're going to look at is the hope that we have in the person of Jesus, the hope that we have in the power of the Spirit, and then finally, the hope that we have in the people that Jesus has gathered. So those are the three points that we're going to look at. Now, for the first point, the, the person of Jesus. <clears throat> we start off with, um, can I have my water bottle? Uh, we start off with this guy named Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, uh, we don't know much about him. <clears throat> Thank you. We don't know much about Theophilus. Uh, probably, more than likely, Theophilus was uh, a patron who helped Luke do the work of writing his two-volume history of the life of Jesus in the church, which is the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Uh, and what he's doing is he is he's bringing together all of his eyewitness testimony, the things that he did. There are parts of the of the book of Acts in particular where he's he's writing in the first person, so we know he's a part of what's happening. And there are other places where we can tell he had conversations with people, he talked with them, he he gathered information in order to be able to tell us the story of the church. And and uh, what he does here at the beginning is he's summarizing uh, really kind of beautifully summarizing all 1,151 verses of his gospel by saying, I want to remind you of everything that I said in my previous book. 
right? The, the parables of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the way he interacted with people. But notice the one thing he doesn't leave to summary. In verse 3, he says, after his sufferings, talking about Jesus, after Jesus' sufferings, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Central to the hope of the church is that Jesus died and rose again. That is absolutely fundamental to the hope of the church. Hope in the person of Jesus is not hope in some ancient uh, sage. It's not hope in some ancient teacher who's got some really interesting insights for us to have a better, more fulfilled life. Central to the hope of the church is that Jesus died and rose again from the grave. And that that is even how Luke is beginning this story. He can't help but mention it one more time. He can't help but remind us yet again that this is absolutely fundamental. And that this is going to shape the life of the men and the women that we're going to meet in the story. Now, um, let me pause here for a second. For, for those of you kids that maybe are watching from home, for the teenagers and maybe kids that are here with us this morning, uh, you know, we talk a lot about in these books about the adults, the men and the women, and it can be easy to forget that they're actually kids, right? We, we read throughout the book of Acts that families are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Whole households are being baptized. And so while there are one or two places where younger people are being mentioned, uh, I think it's safe to say as an assumption that even though the principal people we're talking about are, are adults, that they were teenagers and children that were absolutely involved in seeing all of this happening at the same time. All right, no, so with that little aside, um, what's the hope that we have is hope in a risen Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? That, that means for, for some of us in this room, maybe some of you watching, uh, joining us online, uh, that means um, that the first response to that hope is faith. Uh, it's putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today, whether you're joining us virtually or joining us here in the, in the room this morning, uh, and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, you need to know something that's absolutely at the heart of who I am is I love having conversations with people who have questions about Christianity. Uh, that is one of my favorite things to do. And so if you're here today and you're like not sure what you think about Jesus, Maybe you're sure and you don't like this Jesus, but you're here because there's this curiosity. What, however you're coming this morning, uh, whatever brings you to be a part of Harbor City this morning, know that, that uh, I am and we will be, we are, we will be, we will continue to be a church that welcomes you to ask the questions that you have. But what about for those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus Christ? What does it look like for us to put our hope in the person of Jesus Christ? Uh, what does it look like for us to continue uh, to, to dive deeper and, and cement our hearts more, uh, more firmly on this hope uh, that Jesus, of, of Jesus' death, burial, his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, all of it, the whole, the whole gamut of who Jesus is? There's this place a little bit later in the book of Acts. <clears throat> oh, and incidentally, so I think what's happening here is that Luke is actually giving us themes, building blocks that you're going to see again and again and again in the book of Acts. So, so even now, I'm, I'm jumping ahead in the book of Acts to show you, hey, here's one place where this theme is going to show up. What does it look like to put your hope in Jesus? 
Uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 42, what we see is that um, as the church is being formed, that they, the, the, the believers who were there were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. The teaching of the apostles, which we have today, you have it in this little book, it's called the Bible, the scriptures, right? That's where we have access to the teaching of the apostles. That's where we have access to the word of God. They devoted themselves to that. So what does it look like today? The reality is that, I don't know about you, did you ever go to you know, college class and uh, the professor, maybe high school class, and the professor assigns you know, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Marcia Marquez or, or uh, Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, and you go to the bookstore and you realize that the book is that thick, what do you immediately do? Ah, you look for the Cliff's Notes. I'm guilty of that. You look for the Cliff's Notes, right? I'm going to get this abridged version, and that's going to familiarize me with the story. Uh, I wonder if sometimes the version of Jesus that we have is a Cliff Notes version of Jesus. Uh, it's a version of Jesus where, yeah, I know, well, yeah, he fed a bunch of people one time. He fed, was it 5,000 or 4,000? It was both. Um, did he walk on water or did he calm the storm? It was both, right? We, we, we know these stories. We familiarize ourselves with these stories about Jesus or in Scripture as a whole. Uh, and the temptation is that when we come to those, we go, oh, yeah, I, I remember that, and we move on. Uh, and I'm guilty of that as well. Now, the corrective to that is found in Psalm 119, or a corrective to that, not the, a corrective of that is found in Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So part of the way that we establish and deepen and solidify our hope in the person of Jesus as his church is that we are a people who devote ourselves to his word. We are a people who devote ourselves to his teaching and are not satisfied with the Cliff's Notes version of Jesus. We're not satisfied with familiarity with Jesus, but we want to know him. And the way that we know him is in part by engaging him in his word. Let me just put this out there. If I can, I'll start meddling my first Sunday. If I start meddling my first Sunday, you'll get used to it. If the only time we are engaging with scripture is in the 25 to 30 minutes that the preacher is preaching, we have a Cliff's Notes version of Jesus. So what does it look like for Harbor City Church to be a church, and I'm not assuming that this isn't the case, but, but this is the question for us to think through. This is the question in your life groups that if you're in a life group that discusses the sermon, this is the question that, that I wrote for you to consider, right? What does it look like for Harbor City to Church to be a church that continues to deepen the way in which it engages God through his word? So that's the first thing. A church that, is, that uh, finds its hope in the person of Jesus. Second thing, a church that finds its hope in the power of the Spirit. If you look at verses uh, 4 to 8, what we see is in verses 48, uh, and I think I've, if, if the right slide shows up, I've underlined them for you. If you can see that, it's kind of small. Um, three different times where Holy Spirit is mentioned as Jesus is talking. First in verse 4, he refers to Holy Spirit as the gift my Father promised. Then secondly, in verse 5, he talks about being baptized with Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, he talks about receiving power when Holy Spirit comes on you. 
I told you that, that uh, already at the beginning of the book, things are being foreshadowed. We're already getting an image, a picture of things that are about to happen. So there are five times, five, where we read in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is poured out on people. And, and I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think in every single one of them, Holy Spirit being poured out on people is accompanied with something dramatic. Miracles, speaking in tongues, or boldness in the face of severe opposition. Now, what's fascinating is the places where, the times when Holy Spirit shows up. So remember the Great Commission, if you're familiar with it. Uh, You'll be my witnesses where? Does anyone remember? In Jerusalem and Judea, so that's one place. Samaria, the ends of the earth. We'll get there, don't worry. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Now, pay attention with me to see what happens. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, Holy Spirit, that's what we refer to as Pentecost. Where is Holy Spirit being poured out? Jerusalem. In chapter 4, verses 28 to 31, Holy Spirit is being poured out in the region of Judea. In chapter 8, verses 15 to 17, that's Holy Spirit being poured out on the Samaritans. What region is that? Samaria. In chapter 10, verses, verse 44, this is the story of Peter who, who gets this vision of a bunch of, of, of food that he wasn't supposed to eat. And he goes to this guy's house named Cornelius and Cornelius becomes a Christian. And after Cornelius becoming a Christian, Holy Spirit is poured out. Gospel going out to the ends of the earth. And just to make sure we don't miss the point, Acts chapter 19, where believers in Ephesus, really far away, really far away from Jerusalem and Samaria, Holy Spirit is being poured out. <clears throat> the Spirit of God goes, in or, goes out in order to, one, prove that Jesus was keeping his word. What did Jesus say? You're going to receive the promise of my Father. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Power is going to come on you. All of those instances is Jesus is keeping his word because this is the church of Jesus, right? These are the acts of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But the second thing is that they're proof of the power that we have. Now, um, there are so many places that we could go with this, but but where I want to take us is to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is picking up on this idea of the church being this this, uh, very cosmopolitan thing, right? Where you've got people from all over the world that are coming together, Jew and Gentile, people who who had no business expecting to be a part of this thing that God was doing in the world, and now they're a part of it. And he summarizes it with this. This is uh, verse 20. Talking about the church, he says, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Pause. Jesus himself as the cornerstone, that's, that's going back to point one, right? The, the, the foundational role of Jesus in the life of the church. Verse 21. In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Incidentally, I'm not going to go down this road with you, but incidentally, the idea of being built together, that's point three that we're going to get to in a second. What I want you to focus on is this imagery of temple. What is a temple? It's a building. 
What are temples for? Who lives in temples? Priests and gods. Priests and gods. Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, you, you know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Anybody ever heard that? What is usually accompanied with that idea? At least where I'm from, what is usually accompanied that is your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, don't do X, Y, Z, Q, whatever, right? Can I just tell you that that is the most atrocious misunderstanding of what it means that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And, and not far from that is this idea, which again, we're going to get to in the, second, in, the, in the next point, that it's an individualistic thing. What, what Paul is telling us in this passage is that you and I are all building blocks. I, by myself, am not the temple of God. Harbor City as a church by itself is not the temple of God, not the sum total of it. We are a part of. So the church of Jesus Christ across the world and through the ages is the temple in which God is making himself known. That is why we are priests and we are also the place where God's spirit dwells. Scripture's like takes all of these categories and mixes them up together in ways that are really amazing and beautiful. So, so you recognize like when we leave here today, little parts of the temple of Yahweh are going to be dispersed throughout San Diego. That should blow our minds. That should make us just, oh. the God of heaven and earth has seen fit to make himself known to the world through you. So what does it look like for us to be a church where the spirit of God, I'm Presbyterian, but I'm a Latin Presbyterian. And Latin Presbyterians talk about the spirit. What does it look like for us to be a people that are living out in the power of Holy Spirit? Again, lots of different ways that we could talk about this, but, but let me suggest one. One of the things that, that Kate and I really appreciated about Harbor City as we were talking with the search committee and the, and the elders and the elder advisors and staff uh, was the way that, that uh, the church has really connected itself through its city partnerships to what's happening in the needs of, of our community. Uh, you know, and, and the reality is that uh, it's wonderful and good. It's possible for us, and I'm not suggesting that we do this, but I want to alert us to this as a reality. It's possible for us to do a lot of good things in the city and there be actually very little power behind it. It's possible for us to uh, be really engaged in lots of things that are worthwhile, and at the end of the day, fundamentally be no different than, uh, than somebody else who's doing those same things and doesn't believe in Jesus at all. So what, what, what is at least one thing that we could do, one way that we can really access 
the Spirit of God and the power that he has given us. Folks, every time Holy Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts, amazing things happened. May I suggest that one way that we do that uh, is through prayer, because the Spirit is a spirit of prayer. Remember what John said in chapter, or excuse me, what Jesus said in John chapter 11? When you pray and you're not quite sure what to do, what to say, Holy Spirit jumps in. The Spirit of God is a spirit of power, but it's also a spirit of prayer. What, what does it look like for us to think about? How do we think strategically about the way that we pray for city partners, the way that we pray when we're engaging with city partners, the way that we pray uh, for each other when, uh, when someone is going out and serving with city partners? I don't know the answer to that. And maybe that's already happening. I don't know. But this is one way that we can really press into what uh, it looks like to, to, to have our hope, not uh, in the power of the Spirit. So first point, hope in the person of Jesus. Uh, and my suggestion as one way to think through of applying that is moving beyond a Cliff's Notes version of Jesus. The second point is hope in the power of the Spirit. And at least one way that we can think about that is what does it look like for us to really tap into the power that's already ours, right? We're not, we're not trying to find something and see like, oh, maybe we can get it, maybe. No, it's already ours because we already are the temple of God. And then finally, hope in the people that Jesus is gathering. If you look at verses... Sorry, this, it takes a little getting used to new microphones. Uh, if you look at verses 12 to 15, uh, what you see in verses 12 to 15 is a lot of names. How many of you love the parts of the Bible with lots of names? Good, none of you are lying to me this morning. We were listening to uh, the book of Ezra on our way over here. This is what pastors do to their children on a cross-country trip. We started like, I'm going to find a book of the Bible. We live the book of Ezra. There are some really long lists of names. That was pretty painful. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I come across a long list of names, my temptation is to gloss, to pick up after the long list of names. Now, this isn't that long a list of names, but these names are really important. So first of all, we see in, uh, in verse 13, the 11 disciples, Judas, the traitor, is missing because he's dead. He's going to be replaced soon. We see that in verse 14, that along with, uh, and notice, uh, this is one of the things that we didn't talk, we're not going to talk about this morning, but I just want to highlight uh, that, that they're praying constantly, okay? Um, notice that along with that, we have uh, a group of unidentified women. We have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we have Jesus's brothers. So James, who will go on to write the book of James, and other brothers of Jesus are all in this room together. Now, we don't know what women are present, but we can safely assume, we can safely you know, guess that among these women are women that Luke's already talked about. So those would be Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Cleopas, Joanna, Susanna, Salome, Mary the mother of John Mark. So these women Already at the, at the very beginning of things, you have this group of women that are instrumental to what is going on. And we're going to see that carried forward in the book of Acts. We're not going to get all the way there, at least not before Christmas. But later on in the book of Acts, 
uh, we're going to see that women were instrumental in the development of pastors for the church. Priscilla was discipling Apollos. We're going to see that women were instrumental in the planting of churches in new venues. Lydia and the other women, whose names we don't have, that were the prayer team that ended up being the founders of the church in Philippi. And the church in Philippi met in Lydia's house. Paul, I'm hard-pressed to think of very many places where Paul is by himself. Paul, even in prison, Paul is almost always accompanied by somebody else. The the reality is that um, it's very tempting for us to read the Bible. This is just the water we swim in. It's very tempting for us to read the Bible very individualistically. I'm, and I'm, I'm just as guilty as the next person of doing this. Uh, when we do that, we lose sight of something really important. Remember what we just said, we're being saved to be a temple. I by myself am not the temple. Me in connection to you, us in connection to the church, the big C church, we are the temple. Anthony Bradley is a, uh, a, a theologian and professor in New York City. And uh, this past week, my wife read me a, a tweet that he had that was so good, I wanted to read it to you this morning. Uh, he says this, he says, I really wish evangelicalism had never created the concept of identity in Christ. It's so individualistic. To be in Christ is to become a part of the people of God, 1 Peter 2.10, which means that your baptism makes you part of a community with privileges and responsibilities. Nearly every in Christ reference in the New Testament is not about any individual navel-gazing identity, but rather their self-understanding in light of being a community. You, the individual, are not the workmanship. The covenant people are, referencing Ephesians 2.10. Anthony Bradley loves to push buttons. Uh, and I will confess that uh, it's easy for me to read that at first and be like, oh yeah, that's right. And, and not actually stop and go, oh, but wait a minute, how am I guilty of at times reading the Bible or understanding the church in a, in a solely, in an, solely in an individualistic way? What the book of Acts will show us again and again, and what scripture shows us again and again is that we are being saved in order to become a part of something much bigger. That we are just one small part of what God has been doing throughout history and throughout the world. So what does it look like for Harbor City to be a church that presses into this reality? What does it look like for Harbor City to be a church that is, that is striving to figure out how do we find our hope in being a part of a larger community. Again, there are a lot of ways that we can talk about this. Let me suggest just one, uh, and that's by pointing you to the 59 times in Scripture where we are told to do something for one another. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another. Hebrews 3.13, help and encourage one another. Galatians 2 and Galatians 10, care for one another. Ephesians 4.2, be patient with one another. And there's a whole bunch more. What does it look like for us 
to work through what does it look like to live out these one another commands. I'm not suggesting it's easy. It's actually really hard. Like if you really try to live these commands out, it will make us uncomfortable. I promise you that. But this is the kind of church that Jesus is establishing. We didn't even get into some of the other things that we can see in this passage, but these three things that we look at this morning, these are three ways in which Jesus is saying, I want you to put your hope in these things and you don't do it by yourself because I've already given you my Holy Spirit. I've already, I've already reframed who you are as your identity is found in me as a new people. And I'm giving you a Holy Spirit. I'm giving you each other so that you can be the people that I have formed you to be. This is the, this is the work that Jesus starts doing that we are reading about in the early pages of the book of Acts. And this is the work that you and I get to continue to do. And it's exciting and scary and hard, and we're going to step on each other's toes. But the, the, the end of it, right, is a community that will be beautiful, a community that will, will show people how, how amazing and wonderful our Savior Jesus is. That's the kind of community that I want to be a part of. And I know that that's the community that you all want to be a part of too. So let's pray that Jesus will help us to be that kind of community. Will you please join me as we pray now? Heavenly Father, we um, this, uh, this vision that you give us, even at the beginning of the book of Acts, is, uh, is immense. And we can't do this by ourselves. Thank you that we don't have to. Uh, thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus, that he has reformed us into a new people and that our identity is found in him. Thank you that you have given us your spirit and that because you have given us your spirit, uh, that you have empowered us to serve you and that you've made us into this temple that goes out into the world in order to show who you are. Thank you for your people that as we go out, we don't go alone, but we go with each other encouraging and supporting one another. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your mercies to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.